0: Shabbat Tov, and happy Hanukkah to all of you great listeners of this terrific station, a station that broadcasts only Divre Torah, Divre Musa, Divre Tauri Divre and religious music. This is Rabbi Elbas from SLC. I'd like to speak, first of all, a little bit about uh, Hanukkah and then if we have some time, maybe I'll discuss something about the Parasha. As we all know, when finally the, the Bnei Israel came into the uh, the Beit HaMikdash, and you know the famous miracle that happened, the miracle of the oil, they only found one vial of oil that was kasher with the stamp of the Kohen Gadul. But, that vial was only supposed to last for only one night. And then it lasted for another seven nights. Or a total of eight days, which was enough to get the new oil, which was kosher oil, for later on. <clears throat> we all know the famous question of the Bit Yosef. The Bet Yosef, we ask the question, if you did there was enough oil for one night and a miracle happened and it lasted for seven nights then the miracle was only for seven nights then we should be celebrating hanukkah only seven nights how come we're celebrating eight nights so one one answer is well after all the greeks were there for quite a number of years they defiled everything they made everything tame uh, they even had the, the statue of Zeus uh, uh, in the Beit and, and they were bringing uh, sacrifices of uh, Behemotha Me'ot over there. Uh, I, it's obvious that the fact that they found one vial that was kosher, that in it itself was a miracle. So, Therefore, we have the eight days. That's one answer. The other answer is well, there are many answers, but there was another answer that says like this they they took this uh, uh, uh this oil that they found and they poured it into the 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 cups of the mineral and then lo and behold the next day they found out that only one eighth only one eighth of the oil that they put in in the cups burnt. For the whole night, instead of the entire cup, as usual, only one-eighth of it. And the second night, another eighth. And so on, until the eight days. So in that case then, uh, even the first night, there was was a a miracle because the first night itself, also only one-eighth. Instead of the whole thing, only one-eighth. That's why we're celebrating all the eight days. But then if so, how can we... Uh, possibly fulfill a misva from something that is a miracle. Normally you don't fulfill a misva from some uh, substance that is a miraculous substance. You don't fulfill a misva with that. And here the oil was a misva, uh, it was a miracle. So how could they uh, fulfill the misva of lighting the menorah with something that was miraculous? So the answer is this. The only time we, we do not fulfill a masvah with something which is, comes from a nest when that substance completely came out of the nest. In other words, it wasn't there at all. And now I have something I have a, a new thing. In other words, what we call there was nothing before and now there is something. That's considered a pureness. And with that, we cannot fulfill as well. Here, it's not yeshmi ayin. Here, there was something. The oil was there already. It's just that it, the echut, the, the quality of the oil, became much stronger such that it could last for the a full eight days. Which means that, yes, with something like this, which was there from before, except it, it, it became stronger with this, we can actually uh, uh, fulfill uh, the miswa uh, of the menorah. Perhaps we can uh, uh, give uh, uh, some kind of an example from uh, Eliyahu and Nabi, uh, when Hashem told him to go to Sarfata, uh, a place in, in Sidon. And he, he found a woman over there. At that time, there was drought and there was no food. And he asked her, you know, give me some food. And, he, and she said, There's something to drink and some food. She, he said, I have very, very little. All I have is like a handful of, of wheat and uh, of kema. There's you know, not much here. They, they, uh, if I eat this, me and my son, after this, that's it. We're going to starve to death. So he told her, you know what? Don't worry about it. First, give me first. And after you give me first, there will be a beracha, And whatever is there, it's okay. It, the, the, uh, the, the wheat and, uh, and the oil, everything that you have there is going to stay for a very long time. So how come he told her, give me first? Now, perhaps could be Eliyahu was like Pinchas or Eliyahu. Pinchas was a kohen, and we say, if the kohen, if we give something to the kohen, like he say, uh, "Ve'ish et Kodashav Loyehu, What does that mean? A person that gives a terimot to the kohen, lo mamon gadol, is going to be rewarded with a big berachah, and Hashem will give him more. So we also there was a miracle. He gave to her first, to him first, and there wasn't there was a miracle that's involved here, but the miracle was involved with something that was there before. There was something, and it became more and more. It increased. Well, that's okay. So that means the whatever she gave as a matanat to kohen is all right, but if it's something yeshmi ayn, something that comes out of nowhere just like complete new creation well that uh, cannot be we cannot fulfill with it there is another thing here and that is they we say the uh, when the Hashmunaim they came into the temple and they found that vial of oil now they knew, They knew one thing. They knew that it's only good for one night. That's it. Now, they had a dilemma. Why? Shall we use it for this night now? Or perhaps we should wait until the the eighth night. And then from there on we're going to be able to light the menorah every single day. Because there's, there's a inyan of that not to stop lighting the menorah. Once you start lighting it, you have to keep lighting it. But now, if they use it for one night, and then they have to stop for seven nights, and then back again, perhaps that's not a good idea. But what did they do? They decided, no, we're going to, we have it for tonight, we're going to do it tonight. That's it. Where did they learn this from? They learned this from Reuven. In the parasha that uh, we read yesterday, over there, the um, Shebatim, they decided and they judged and there's a lot of talk about this in the Mephashim, that, okay, Let's, let's kill Yosef. Reuven comes up and says, wait a minute. Why do you want to kill him? No. Let's throw him into the pit over here. Throw him into the board, a pit. Now, what he had in mind was, like the Torah says, that, well, throw him in there. Later on, he's going to come. I'll pick him up. And bring it back to his, uh to Avinu. That's what he had in mind. That's the zechut of Reuven. But the question is, it says, the Midrash says, listen, uh, the boar was empty. There was no water. But the Midrash says, be'akravim bo.'" But there's scorpions and snakes around there. And that's dangerous. So he can be killed with that. So what's the shot? So now the old man had a dilemma. If he leaves it by the brothers, they're going to kill him. On the other hand, he throws it into the boar. Maybe he'll be, he'll be killed also. What should he do? He decided, no, we're going to do whatever... Whatever right now can be done to save his life, let's do it now. Let's do the mitzvah now. Let's not wait for later. This is what the Hashemun Naim had in mind. I can do a mitzvah now or I can wait until seven, seven days from now. He said, no. Let's do whatever we can do now. Ruben didn't wait. He said, let's do it. Let me save him now. Later on, he rahim Baruch Hu will help. Which means that really, when there is a maswa that you have in hand, don't wait on it. Go ahead. Do it right away. Don't say, oh, I'm going to wait and maybe next week. It's going to be a better thing. Maybe this, maybe it. No. You never know what could happen on the way between now and the next week. Or the next month. When you have a mezvah. Go ahead. And do it right away. Now. There are many lessons that we can learn. From Hanukkah. But I would like to discuss one of them. And let me tell you what it is. I think it's very appropriate. Nowadays. In America. and the western countries. When I When I Gave a Beracha to, uh, to Abraham Avinu, he told him, I'm going to make your offspring, your seed, numerous like the dust of the earth. That's what he told Abraham Avinu. Then when he gave a Beracha, well, actually, the Yaakov Avinu himself, he said, you Hashem said, "Heti beti bimach, I'm going to be very good to you." Now there was your promise that's going to be kehol hayam, like the sand on the seashore. See, we have two ways of depicting the 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 uh, the, 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 the number. Uh, the great number of, uh, of, of, of the Jews in the world. One is Ka'afar Ha'aretz. And one is Ka'halayam. Why? What's the difference? What is the significance of holayam and Afar? They, they both have to do with the earth. But there's a difference. You know, when when you are on the seashore, near the sea, you look at the ocean. It's a beautiful, calm, peaceful water. You can recline on a chair, have a sunbath. If you're hot, you can go and cool off in the water. That's a beautiful scene. The atmosphere is very tranquil. The Afara Aris is the opposite. The earth is something that everyone steps on. With, with, everyone tramples on it. We always step on the earth. What is the significance of this? It's like this. Hashem is telling Abraham, your seed, your offspring, sometimes they're going to be persecuted in a peaceful manner. Sometimes it's going to be persecution in a very ruthless, barbaric fashion. Sometimes the host country is going to be tolerant. They will show a sympathetic face. Oh, they're our friends. They said to us, well, you marry our daughters, we'll marry your daughters. We'll be together. Adopt our culture, our way of life. After all, this way, there's going to be economic gain for yourself. You can make a lot of wealth that way. You can attain a high position in government. In other words, they try to lure us and entice us to adopt their way in a sort of peaceful manner. Other times, which is more often than not, the nations of the world try to trample on us like the Afara Aris, to persecute us physically, to oppress us. Murder us, throw us in gas chambers, burn us alive in auto da during the Inquisition. Just like the people trample on the earth, there are two ways. Question is, which is more dangerous? Of course, both of them are dangerous. No question about it. Which one uh, provides us with a bigger challenge? The one that attempt attempt to change us peacefully through persuasion and temptation or when it is through persecution and oppression. Well, we can understand that by looking into the history of Hanukkah. What happened? In the year approximately 320, before the common era, was Alexander of Macedonia, called Alexander the Great, with his army, conquered most of the civilized world. They conquered one country after another, one after another, fell into their hands, Egypt, Syria, even the Persian Empire. Persia which was, was very strong. They went all the way from Egypt, all the way to the shores, of, to to, to, the, to India, well, Alexander Great himself uh, was somewhat tolerant uh, to the religions. When he, when he died, he was a very young man, perhaps around 33 or so. After his death, his generals that, you know, that they had, the you know, generals of the army, they started bickering, who, you know, who's going to get what? And they decided to divide in three ways. One took a spot, uh, an area where, where Greece is. One took a spot with Egypt and its surrounding. And another one took uh, Syria and its surrounding. Now, the one that took the Egypt and its surrounding, they were called the Ptolemies. And these, uh, as I say, we hear a lot about Talmai HaMelech, that's the Ptolemies. They were more or less tolerant in the sense that, okay, I'm not going to persecute you for your religion, but I'm going to try to entice you. I'm going to try to tempt you. Okay, you you want to practice your religion? Yeah, but really, if you want to become one of us, you have to adopt our way of life. Our culture, our science, our art. This is. This went on for about one hundred and twenty years. During that time, there were no gezerot. There was no uh, 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 no decrees uh, that if you uh, make a milah or something, you're gonna be uh, punished severely. Severely, nothing like that. Point. They were pagans. They were shipping idols. Idols of stone, wood, metal. This is what they this what they wanted the, the Jews to somehow come down, come and, and, and embrace their way of life. But you know what? Tens of thousands of Jews, over that period of 120 years, they somehow joined in. They started talking like them, wearing clothes like them, joining them in the gymnasiums where they had sports, with no clothes at all. They became what we call Hellenized. Hellenized means the word Helen is Greek. Is the Hellenized, they were, became like Greeks. They were Hellenized Jews. Now, this is during the peaceful way of trying to get the Jews uh, into uh, in their way of life. What happened after the 120 years? After that time, there was a, a, a war between the Greeks in Egypt and the Assyrian Greeks. Now uh, Judea changed hands now. Now it became under the Syrian Greeks. The Syrian Greeks were not tolerant. The the emperors at the time, Antiochus. He made Gezerot. With the help and collaboration. Of the Hellenized Jews. They're starting. No. No no Milan. No Shabbat. No Rosh Hodesh. Well if there's no Rosh Hodesh. Then you don't know what the Muadim are. That means no no Muadim either. And not only that. But they were. uh, uh, Very particular in trying. To. F- fulfill, you know, make sure that their decrees are being adopted by all. So what did they do? Every now and then they would send some, a squadron of of, uh, of soldiers, and they would go to this village, this one or that one, and then they'll bring their, their statue or whatever, they'll uh, round up the people, the Jews over there, and they would say, okay, here's a, here's a, a swine, a pig, and we want you to sacrifice it to their God. They want to actually do it. If they didn't, there was big problems. Under penalty of death. It went on for a little while until one time, they stopped the, the village of Modiin. And there was Matatyahu and his five sons. They were living there. They were, they were from, they were Kohanim. And they did the same thing. They rounded up the people. And uh, Matetyahu was there and his five sons. And they wanted Matetyahu to do something to himself, to go and sacrifice. Of course, he didn't move. But then someone else, a Hellenized Jew, said, oh, he'll do it. So he came And as soon as he came to try to sacrifice it, Matetyahu took the sword of one of the troops there, killed him and the soldier. His sons joined in. And in a matter of a flash, all the soldiers, the Greek soldiers were dead. The rebellion started. So they had to go, of course. They had to go and hide. Because they knew there were going to be more coming in. But now the rebellion started. And the more and more and more people were joining in until, as we know, it took many, many, many years they finally they became independent. But what I, I would like to bring up is the following. The first 120 years, the Greeks were tolerant. Tens and tens of thousands of Jews joined them. During the time of persecution, was different. But think for a moment, what would have happened if they stayed another 100 years, another 150 years under the Egyptian Greeks? Now, there would be no Hashmonaim. I mean, the Hashmonaim came because it was a threat to the life of the people. If, if, they, if they, they're not threatening anyone, no one's gonna rebel. Why would you rebel against a government that's not threatening you? There wouldn't have been any Hashemunayim. What would have happened? Another hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jews would have actually followed, followed through. Maybe a core of a certain amount of Jews that were very adukim, they will stay. They will hold on. Which means a challenge when there is a peaceful way of attracting us that challenge is even greater. And it requires more effort from our part to be able to resist it. This is why I'm bringing this up. As it says, Yaakov uh, Avinu, uh, when he was praying to Hashem, he said, miyad ahi miyad esav. Save me from my brother From Esav What do you mean From my brother From Esav How many brothers Did he have <laughs> Only one brother It was Esav So what does I mean My brother And from Esav It means Save me Whether He is going to Act towards me As a brother Or whether he's going to Act towards me As the ruthless Esav I don't want any and which one comes first? Miyad Ahi. As a brother. That's worse. This is why. Rabuta know it is. it is. While living in the US. We have to be. Very extremely careful. Baruch Hashem. We are blessed that we have. We are in a country. That they are not forcing us to do. Uh, not forcing us to, to adopt a different religion. We have a freedom of religion. But that in itself is a greater, it's a greater challenge. Look, 50 years ago, there were about 5.5 million Jews in America. How many Jews are there in America now? About 5.5. So what happened in 50 years? There were, there, were, there were multiple births. Millions and millions of Jews were born. Unfortunately, uh, as many as they were born, as on one end, as many as we lost on the other end through assimilation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And in the Western countries, hey, do you know, for example, our secretary Secretary of State John Kerry, his grandparents they became assimilated. His grandparents were Jews. We had another Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright. Her grandparents also were Jews. They assimilated. The president of France, Sarkozy, his grandfather was a, a Sephardic Jew. He assimilated. Assimilation is... I'm only giving you a, a, a small small example, like a few examples here. Uh, uh, the president of Venezuela, uh, Maduro, you know, his grandparents were Sephardic Jews. They assimilated. Assimilation becomes much, much greater when there is no challenge. There's no... Uh, 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 decrease that, that, to life and that hey you're our, you're our friends. we're not going to bother you. but unfortunately, what could happen is when there is other kinds of enticements, other kinds of temptations, wealth, power, high position in the government, who knows? That's why we have to be very careful. Here, where we are, always to belong in a community. Always be in a community. Always uh, 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 send your kids to yeshiva to learn the Torah. You yourself, everyone should have special time for sheorim, for tefillot. Be always close to the community. As long as we keep together. And Baruch Hashem. This is why our committee, in the last 60, 70 years here, has been thriving, both uh, in, uh, in 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 uh, religion as well as, uh, as well as in economic gain. But we always stay together, we practice together, and B'ezrat Hashem, that is the way that the Mashiach will come when all the Jews in the whole world will try to practice. Their religion properly and not look at what the Goyim are doing. We make all teshuvah, I guarantee you, the Mashiach will be here for us. So, happy Hanukkah to all of you, Rabutai. I want to remind you about this beautiful station. Try to contribute as much as you can, it's very helpful. And of course, if you haven't seen our uh, social hall yet, I think it would be a good idea to just take a look at this beautiful thing, very, very nicely done, completely renovated. And if, if you have a simha with a bar mitzvah, a wedding, Brit milah, please come. Look us up. I am sure you'll be 100% satisfied. Shavuot, and happy Hanukkah to all of you.